Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. Somebody here looking for hope, we hope we can share hope with you today because we are a church that loves people very, very much. Thank you for coming and God bless your heart. Let's go to the screen. I'm speaking today on the subject competitors. I want to talk about competitors, competitors, competitors. I'm going to go to the book of Romans today to read my text to you, so let's go there. Romans chapter 9. It was said to her, Who's her? That's Rebecca. The older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Everybody say, certainly not. That's one of the most difficult scriptures in the entire Bible to try to talk to people about. That God could literally hate somebody. Amen. I wanted to try to explain it to you this morning in a more definite way. You may be seated. God bless you real good. Kathy was with her boyfriend, Irvin, who was a golfing fanatic and is on vacation. They're on a golf course. Kathy says he hits the ball way out of bounds, way over to the side. Here's your ball, Irvin. It was in the weeds over here. And Irvin shouts at her, you move the ball. You're not allowed to move the ball, Kathy. And Kathy said, who cares? We're the only ones out here. And Irvin says, it's against the rules. You can't break the rules. And Kathy says, you hate rules, Irvin. You hate rules. And Irvin said, but this is a sport. It's no fun without rules. It's pointless unless everyone plays by the exact same rules. And as Irvin is walking away, Kathy follows after him, writing in her notebook, saying, note to self. To do after vacation, get relationships declared a sport. (laughs) And print up rule book for all men. Amen. That's cute, isn't it? I have a friend here today. I have a friend here today named Larry McGeehee. Larry's my buddy, and he's in the house here today, and I I welcome him and his friend uh, with him today. Batissa is with him, and I am very happy that they are with us today. One of the most competitive men in all of baseball was a man named Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb was, in a lot of people's mind, a cheater. But Ty Cobb was very competitive. He had, a, he had a habit. He had this nervous habit of always kicking first base bag when he got on base with a single. And it wasn't until after he retired the game that the truth came out about why he did that. By kicking the bag hard enough, Cobb found that he could move it a full two to three inches towards second base. And he figured that this improved his chances for stealing second or for reaching second base safely if somebody got another single. You know why he did it? Because Cobb was an intense competitor. He was driven by the need to win. And sometimes he didn't care what he needed to do to satisfy that need. He was very much like an Old Testament hero that you've read about. And the the writer of Genesis tells us that even in the womb, in his mother's womb that Jacob sought to win out over his twin brother Esau. When they were born, Jacob was holding Esau's heel 
as though to hold Esau back so he could be born first. Jacob's name means follower. It also means supplanter. And Jacob was determined his whole life not to follow anyone but to do it for himself. President John Kennedy once said, once you say you're going to settle for second, that's what happens to you in life, I find. Jacob was not a settler for second best. He was determined, folks, to fulfill his ambitions in life and in God. So he was aggressive, even about receiving God's blessings. He would use any means necessary, even a supplanter, even to be a deceiver, to get what he wanted in his life. Jacob and Esau were twins. You've already figured that out. But they were hardly identical twins. They did not resemble one another. And they grew up two different young men. Esau became an outdoors man, a hunter. He was mighty with game. And he was hairy and his skin was coarse. And he was a man's man. And he was the favorite of his father Isaac. Jacob, in contrast, was a quiet homebody. His personality appealed much more to his mother, Rebecca. Something in that Sometimes those quiet ones are the ones you have to watch, I wrote in my notes. Jacob's skin was smooth, kind of like his tongue. He was a smooth-tongued man, and he was cunning. He was a striver. He always was on the lookout for some way to get ahead of his brother. And though twins, Esau held the honor of being the older son, and many people may not realize this in the Jewish community, because he was the oldest son, he automatically received the abundant blessings denied to the other children in the family. The eldest son received a double portion and the rest of the family received the other half of what was left of the portion. He also inherited any position or titles of his father. And since Isaac was in covenant relationship with God, this was also a part of Esau's inheritance because Isaac was the son of Abraham. And we read all the time about the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. It should have been Abraham and Isaac and Esau, but it wasn't. Here's where the story gets very unreal. With all the promises of inheritance, Esau seemed to be spiritually dull. He did not value the inheritance that God was going to pass to him through his father. Yet Jacob burned. He burned with ambition to inherit all of his father's blessings. Esau, really, folks, could have cared less. So we come to that famous story. That story, one of the best-known stories in the Bible. Esau's been out hunting, hunting game probably, come in from the outside world famished. And he says to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that stew because Jacob was cooking something his mama had taught him to cook. He was Paula Dean's son in the Old Testament. And Jacob replies, first give me your birthright. He said, look, man, I'm starving. I'm about to die. Jacob says, swear to me first. So Esau... As quickly as he could, swore an oath, selling his birthright to Jacob for just a bowl of stew. Now, we make fun of that, and we criticize that, but it was one of the best-known transactions that a Jewish man ever pulled on another Jewish man. He got everything from Abraham through Isaac that belonged to Esau to be given to him because he got his birthright that day. Yet Esau was not the first, nor will he be the last on earth to make such a trade. Because lots of people, even today, sell things of greater value for something of far lesser value. For when you see somebody driving a nice car, 
and you know that they're wearing nice clothes and everything's nice in their life and yet they don't have time to spend with their children. They don't have time to spend with their home and with their family. They're trading, they're trading their life for a bowl of stew, their birthrights being sold. When somebody tells you they don't have time or the desire to take care of their health or they're too busy to exercise or eat right, you're talking to someone who has sold their birthright for a bowl of stew. When somebody tells you they don't have time for the things of God, to read their Bible, to come to the house of the Lord and worship, you're talking to someone who has sold his birthright out for a bowl of stew. Neither brother measured up to their inheritance, one with the excess of ambition, the other with the excess of apathy. So it's ambition versus apathy. It's ambition versus apathy. And that, my friend, is why God chose Jacob instead of Esau to carry the covenant relationship that he had for his people. Because between ambition and apathy, most of the time, apathy is the more deadly spiritually on anybody. The Spirit says in Revelation chapter 3, I know your works. I know your deeds that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Here's what I want to tell you. There are some spirits that strive in all of us. One is ambition. The other is apathy. One is, you know what, whatever, just whatever. That's what I live on, just whatever. The devil is doing something, folks. I want to share with you right now. The devil's doing something. He is trying to wear out the saints of the Most High God. He is not using fierce battles against us. He's just trying to wear us out. He's trying to wear the men out. He's trying to wear the women out. He's trying to wear the children out. He's trying to bring everything he can, every accusation he can to make families weak, to make families saying, well, whatever. It's no use fighting anymore. It's no use battling anymore. But there's another spirit, a spirit of not just whatever, but another spirit that Jacob possessed calls whatever it takes. And I want to preach to some men here today that will stand with me in an affirmation when the end of the service is over and say, Pastor, I refuse to be a whatever person. I refuse to be a whatever man. I will stand with God. I will stand with the church. I will stand with my family. I will stand with my country. And I will say, whatever it takes, we're going to keep this thing right. I'm going to be the man I need to be and the person I need to become in God. Say amen to that. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Let me share something with you. You think hell is into the whatever mode? Hell is in whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. You read the news every day. I, 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 I'm sorry. I, I, I don't want to sound negative, but I'm going to be negative here right now. You read the news. It's amazing what is in the news today and how negative things are how negative things are and I'm not I'm not jumping on anybody politically but you knew it had to happen you knew the church was going to be attacked sooner or later you knew the church was going to come under a taxation sooner or later you knew it was going to happen because the enemy wants to destroy everything that is spiritually invested in this world he wants to take it away it's not, it's, not, it's not the Muslim brotherhood that is our worst enemy no 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 it's the undermining things of life it's the undermining things of life that want to shut down all Christianity. 
All Christianity is coming under fire. Christianity is not what hell wants on this earth. Christianity is not what hell wants to salute in the last days. He wants to win the war on this earth. But I got news for you, devil. You got kicked out of heaven, so you lost there. The Lord took the keys from you, so you don't have the keys to your own house. You don't even own the keys to your own house. And so you lost in heaven, you lost in hell. You're not going to win on earth either. Because there's going to be some men, there's going to be strong men in this hour. Oh, there's going to be people going to stand up and say, I'm not a whatever person, Pastor. I'm a whatever it takes. I'm going to be ambitious and win the fight in my life in this world. Amen. Say amen to that. Say amen to that. So give me a bowl of stew. What good is a birthright? Now I know that Jacob had to wrestle with an angel. God wrestled with him one night in Genesis 32 to subdue his willfulness. But Esau had no will to subdue. He was just there, no drive. No vision, no sense of call. There was really no hope for Esau. There was nothing that mattered enough to get him out of his rut. Hence the powerful text today. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. And the writer says, is God unrighteous? No. So here's what I want to declare. I want to declare this to you right now. God looks at motives. God did not hate that man. And God does not hate people that are in sin. He hates the sin, not the sinner. God hated that motive in that man. Stay with me now. He couldn't stand that motive in that man. That man had no ambition. He had no drive. He had no desire. He had no get up and go. He just wanted to go out and have fun, drink, and party, and shoot deer. That's all he wanted to do. He wanted to ride four-wheelers all the time and just have fun. He didn't ever want to stand up and be responsible for his life. And God said, I hate that kind of attitude. I need somebody that will look at me and say, you know, there's something greater than what I can get in this world in my life, and it's a God factor. I need that God factor. Are you with me right now? Am I preaching to you right now? I need that God factor in my life. And when people start realizing that, God says, I love that. Because, see, God judges motives. The Bible said you're going to either build on wood, hay, and stubble, or you're going to build on gold, silver, and precious stone. Because every work that you have is going to be tried by fire. And when it's wood, hay, and stone, or when it's wood, hay, and stubble, when it's wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to be burned up. But when it's gold, silver, and precious stone, it's going to last the fires of time. So what I'm trying to tell you today is when you walk in a church house, when you stand up today as a man of God, when you stand up today as a person in a male body in the, in, the, in, the, in the house of God, I want you to stand and say, God, I don't understand all that's going on, uh, but I do know one thing. The pastor is trying to inspire me and trying to motivate me to a place where I can stand up and say, I'm not going to be a whatever man anymore, that wherever the tide goes, I'm going to go, but I'm going to be a whatever it takes man in my life. Because I'm going to live for you. I'm going to do the right thing regardless of what everybody else in my family does. Say amen to that. Lou Holtz was a great football coach. He's still a great man. He's a great communicator. I'd love to have Lou come and speak at our church sometime. But Lou Holtz was coaching Notre Dame in 1988. Notre Dame had lost three games the year before. They had lost to Penn State. They had lost to Texas A&M and another team. I can't think who they were, but... Lou Holtz come to the locker room of the Notre Dame football team that, that first practiced the next year in 1988. And he said, all right, I want to ask you guys a question. Who among you here want to be great? Stand up. And it took those boys about a second and a half to stand up. 
Many of them leaped to their feet and shouted, Fighting Irish, go Irish. And he stood those boys up and they went crazy in that locker room. How many want to be great? Stand up. And if I would ask that question today in this room right here, how many men would stand to your feet and say, I want to be great? How many would like to be great today? Would you stand up? How many would like to be great? Would you look here, look here, look here, look here. Isn't this beautiful? Come on, isn't this beautiful? Come on, clap your hands. Just want to be great. Just want to be great. Not for me, but for him. Not for me, but for your family. Not for me, but because your kids. Just want to be great in the kingdom of God. You may be seated. And so Lou started practicing those boys. He started running them. He started doing extra stuff. They, do, they did more stadium seats. They did more stairs. They did, they did more running, more 100-yard dashes. They did more and more. And one boy came to him and said, Coach, you're killing us. You're killing us, Coach. He said, let me ask you something. Did you stand on the first day saying you want to be great? Yeah, Coach, I did. <laughs> Run, climb, lift, excel. And one guy said, it got so that coach motivated us so much that he didn't even have to motivate us. We started coming early to practice. We started staying late after he went in. So we motivated ourselves. And he said, when that motivation, oh, I love this, got a hold of us, not somebody telling us we could be great, but I'm realizing I can be great. I'm realizing I can do something. I'm realizing I can excel. I'm realizing it can be a part of my life. He said it got a hold of the whole team. And coach didn't have to motivate us the last four or five games. And that year, Notre Dame lifted the trophy of national champion of college football. Here's what I want to tell you. I'm not trying to get us to lift trophies here. No, no, no. I'm not trying to get you to say, wow, I won a drag race, Pastor. I raced a guy on, 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 a, on a street downtown and I beat him one night. So I, I got a trophy. I'm not about that. I'm talking about winning in life. I want you to win in life. And I want you somehow to transfer my motivation talks to you, my motivation speeches to you, to put it inside of you where it's not a man motivates you, but it's you being motivated by something on the inside. I want you to have not a whatever attitude, but a whatever it takes attitude to win in life. Grand Hill. Grand Hill just... Just retired from the, from the pro game. 19 years he played. He played for Duke University. And uh, he played for Coach Mike Krzyzewski. Spell that name and you, you get an A. <laughs> but Coach Mike, he said, he said, I knew Coach had coached a lot of basketball. And I went there because somebody said he was the greatest coach. And he's an awesome coach. And he done great. But he said, he said even, even after he had coached all those years and I came in, under his regime as, a, as my college coach at Duke. He said the first time he talked to me, he said he had a short sleeve coaching shirt on and coaching shorts on and said he stood there in front of us and said he was so motivated and excited about life. He said I saw goosebumps on his arms. Coach K had goosebumps on his arms. And he said when I saw him, I got goosebumps myself. I just got some myself right here right now. <laughs> He said, I saw him. I wish I could roll my sleeves up and let you see him. But I feel it right now. I feel like that I may not be helping many, many people, but I'm helping some people in this house today because some of us have already kind of thrown in the towel and said, you know what, I don't know if I can make it or not. I'm trying to re-up your, your, your regimen right now. I'm trying to re-up you, man. There's nothing, there's nothing that you can't do because you are a child of God. You belong to deity. You belong to the inheritance factor. God has got his hand on you, and God is with you today. Come on, God's with you today. 
My dad didn't speak much. My dad didn't talk a whole lot. Dad was just a doer. But my dad used to come by me. And he would make this statement to me. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be great, son. And I remember when I started preaching the gospel. Dad came up to me and he said, son, I'm not educated. Dad went to World War II and didn't ever get to finish high school. And he got his high school diploma when he was 71 years old. He walked across the platform at 71 and he sent all kinds of pictures to me. I didn't get to go. I wanted to go. But I didn't get to go. But he was so happy he got that diploma. I'll never forget when he, he came to me. The only thing he ever told me in life, the only thing he ever told me in life about the ministry was this. He said, son, if you're going to be one, be the best. Right. It's nothing wrong with wanting to be great in life. Right. Jesus Christ didn't have a problem with it. He never had a problem with it. A woman came to him and said, let one of my boys sit on one hand, one on the other hand. He said, that's not mine to give but the Father in heaven. But if they're willing to drink my blood and take up my cross, he said, they'll be willing to sit with me. And you know what? James and John got to sit with him. And I'm going to tell you, he said, if you're going to be first, you've got to be last because you've got to be servant of all. He didn't never put them down for wanting to be great. I want to tell you something, men. I know that some of you have come in this church and you've come in off of drugs and you've come in off of alcohol and you've come in off of bad, bad things in life. But God is not finished with you just because you got saved and because you've been baptized. God's not through with you yet. He's not just wanting to take you to heaven, an X of something. He wants to take you to heaven going strong, full bore, and saying, I'm a child of God. I'm a doer. I'm a winner. I can excel. I can achieve. I can go on. I can win in life. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody help me right now. Somebody help me right now. One of the great questions in life, is that a motivation? I got about four, four more minutes. I'm, I'm doing the best I can to get through quick. Now listen to me. One of the greatest questions in life, is that a motivation? We've been doing a series on motivation here on Wednesday night. I, I'm no Zig Ziglar. But I love, I love motivational speaking. I love it. I love to speak motivational talks. And one of the greatest men in the Bible that ever motivated me was a man named Jeremiah. Jeremiah never had a convert. He never had a soul. He wanted to God. Never had nobody. He didn't have anybody. He just prophesied doom and gloom. But you know what Jeremiah had? He had something on the inside that hell couldn't take from him. You know what he had? The very first chapter. You read Jeremiah, the first chapter, you'll find out. He said... Before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. He had a God consciousness that hell couldn't take away from him. He had something on the inside that hell couldn't steal. See, hell can wipe off what I've rubbed on. But he can't take out of your soul what God's placed there. I'm telling you, God's placed something. And then the second thing that Jeremiah realizes is that he was set apart. In other words, it didn't matter what people thought about him. It didn't matter. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. That's my calling. And the third thing he realized, he had purpose in his life. How many of you believe God's put you here on purpose? On purpose. And I'm not trying to use fear to motivate you. I'm not trying to use intimidation to motivate you because those are not motivators. You know what the greatest motivator in all the world is? It's love. It's the love of God. And God's trying to constrain all of us and saying, hey, you want to be a whatever or do you want to be a whatever it takes, man? I bless Jacob. I didn't bless Esau because one, even though he was crooked, even though he schemed, even though he didn't do it right, I still blessed him because I realized he wanted something from me. 
Here's what I want to tell you. When you make up your mind, men, whether it's this Sunday, next Sunday, or Father's Day, when you make up your mind to have a winning summer, you can have what God wants you to have because God has already designed it for you. He's already written out the request to his angels to send it down and bless you with it because God wants you to have the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Amen. Clap your hands to that. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. So Danny Cox, Danny Cox is a motivational speaker and he, he found a man one day in an office that had an old Rolls Royce picture. Let me show you. That's a Rolls Royce right there. He had a Rolls Royce picture that was so old the edges were cracked. It was taped together and cracked again. And so Danny Cox went to the man and he said, what is this about the Rolls Royce? He said, it's my goal in life to have a Rolls Royce. And he said, well, how, how, how did this come along? He said, well, 20 years ago I went to a PMA rally. And he said, I... A man told me if I put a picture of a Rolls Royce in front of me and looked at it, that if I believed hard enough, it'd be in my driveway one day when I woke up. <laughs> and Cox asked the man what he was doing over and above his regular daily activity to get his hands on a Rolls Royce, and the man was stumped. He said, what do you mean what am I doing over and above? <laughs> he went on to tell Cox that all he was told to do was hang the picture up and where he could see it every day, and one day he would find it in his driveway. Even though his life experience confirmed it, the man was surprised to hear Cox say that simply doing what he ordinarily does day in and day out wouldn't get him any more than he already had. <laughs> so here's what I'm trying to tell you. You've got to get out of the whatevers of life. Well, whatever, you know. If I get a job, I get a job. If I don't, I don't get one. <laughs> Pastor, I tried to get a job this week. Well, what'd you do? Well, I thought about calling a number, but the Lord said they'll call me if they want me. <laughs> really? Really? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Pastor, I almost had a date this week. <laughs> really? Yeah. There's a lady that I really like. I, I really like her a whole lot. And the Lord said, just hold your peace. She'll come and ask you. <laughs> Pastor, you know, I almost got a house this week. Really? What happened? Well, I drove by one. I said, that's the one I want. And God said, just hold on. I'm going to get that multimillionaire to go bankrupt, so I can give it to you that's never done nothing. <laughs> That's how people see life. I need some competitors. The world needs some competitors, some people that will compete and say, not whatever. Whatever it takes. You know, old Linus said it best. He said, when my ship comes in, I'll probably be at the airport. That's funny. I don't care who you are. You can, be, you, can be, you can be as mean as you want to be, but that's funny right there. Because a lot of you are at the airport and your ship's coming in. I'm just about finished. I'm just about done. Let me finish. Let me wrap it up. I'm trying to tell you it's important that you understand. So Joe McCarthy used to be the manager of the Yankees during their glory days. And 
He had a great team. He had a murderer's row team. He really did. And McCarthy once interviewed, interviewed a coach from the minor league that wanted to come up and be a coach in the majors and wanted to work, wanted to work for the Yankees. He said, how much do you know about psychology? McCarthy asked him, and he said, oh, I studied it in college. He said, so you think you're good? And he said, well, I, I, I don't know how good I am, but the subject I've studied. All right, said, I'll give you a test. So McCarthy said a few years before he had a problem on the team, and he had went to his shortstop, Frank Crosetti. And he said, Frank, I got a problem. I'm not satisfied with the way Lou Gehrig is playing first base. He's too lackadaisical. He's too laid back. I want you to help me. He said, Frank, from now on, I want you to charge every ground ball like you're attacking it. And when you get it, I want you to fire it so quickly and hard as you can to first base. I want you to knock Lou Gehrig off that bag. And Crosetti looked at him, and he said, maybe Gehrig, Gehrig wouldn't like that idea, coach. He said, who cares what Gehrig likes? Just do what I tell you. So McCarthy then said to the coach, now what's the story? What conclusion do you draw from it? And the minor league coach said, I guess you're trying to wake up Gehrig. And McCarthy shrugged and said, sir, let me tell you, Lou Gehrig's a Hall of Famer. Lou Gehrig will be remembered forever. Nothing's wrong with Gehrig. Crosetti was the one who was asleep. Go back to the minor league till you learn. And sometimes people, when I, when I preach like this and try to challenge people, we got more, we can do more, we can be more, we can have more, we can be blessed more. Some people say, well, Oh, boy, he needs it. I tell you what, he needs it over there. Yes, sir. I knew I knew he's going to get it one day. The pastor's going to get him. I knew that. No, 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 no. I'm moi, talking to you. Quit piling that thing. You know, I, uh, what is your job? I'm a pilot. I just take your sermons and pile it here and pile it there and pile it here. No, 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 no. Receive it today. Open your hands and say, I receive it today. This is the first on a man-to-man -man talk. I want to motivate you. I want to motivate you to go from station A to station B. I want you to be all you can be for God. Amen. This church, this church right here, and I'm closing. That helped me, Randy. This church right here has got such a strength of love and unity and compassion and character. It blows me away. But I want you to be blessed, be Beyond measure. I want you to be blessed going out. I want you to be blessed coming in. I want you to be blessed in the city. I want you to be blessed in the field. I want you to be blessed on your job. I want you to be blessed in your car. I want you to be blessed. I want you to not be able to outrun blessings in your life. Pastor, I've never lived a life like that. Yes, you can. But it takes competitors. It takes people that step up and say, you know what? I will be a whatever-it-takes person in my life. Stand to your feet all over the building right now. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Now, never done this before. Never done this in all my ministry. Been here 23 years. Pastored another church for seven years. Never, never done this before. Never done this before. But I'm going to ask every man in this building, every man in this building, to step out and come and stand here in front of this platform right now. Every man, every man right now. Come on. Give him a hand, ladies. Give him a hand. Every man. Every man. Every man. Whether you're saved or whether you're a part of this church, 
Whatever, every man, I want you to come right now. Every man, I want you to come. I want you to come right now. Every man, every man, come on down here right now. Every man, every man, every man. Come on out of the balcony, guys. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Come on, keep clapping, ladies. Keep clapping. I got more compliments from ladies today than I did men, but keep clapping, ladies. Come on, keep clapping. We need competitors. We need competitors, people who will compete and say, I'm not going to be run over by Satan. My family's not going to be destroyed. My life is not going to be destroyed. I'm going to live in a competing mindset. I'm going to have whatever. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.